Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. We're looking at the beginning of the good news. Specifically, we're looking at the early ministry of Jesus in Galilee. What was Jesus doing and saying as he began his ministry in Galilee? My sermon today has perhaps an unusual title. I'm calling it Subficus. It's Latin for under the fig tree. Subficus, under the fig tree. John chapter 1 verse 48, Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree. After Jesus' baptism, he began to gather followers. Among his first followers was Philip from Bethsaida, a fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. So many of those early followers were fishermen. And Philip then went and found Nathanael. And Philip said to Nathanael, you know what? We have found the one about whom Moses and the prophets have spoken. We have found the Messiah. Now who is this Nathanael? Well, we know that he was from Cana. That's the village where Jesus did his first miracle and turned the water into wine. But it seems as though now he's relocated to Bethsaida. There's evidence of that. He's probably not one of the twelve. Nathaniel never shows up in the lists of the 12 apostles that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't give us a list. Nathaniel may be like, well, the one in the Gospel of John that's described as the one whom Jesus loved, which is the author of the Gospel, which is probably not John the son of Zebedee. It's probably another John that lived in Jerusalem. Well, of course, we already know that Jesus had more than the 12 apostles. He had the 70 And it seems as though Nathaniel was probably one of those. And so Philip says to Nathaniel, we found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke of. And of course, Nathaniel said, well, who is he? And Philip replied, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Now, Cana and Nazareth are quite close. When Perry and I did our walk from Nazareth to Capernaum, our first day's walk was from, was from Nazareth to Cana. Nazareth today is a big city, but back then it was a very, very small village, and Canaan was the bigger place. And Nathaniel is skeptical. He has a rather maybe contemptuous attitude toward Nazareth. And he said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've never never thought much of that place, you know, Nazareth. 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip gives the only answer he can. Come and see. You know, check it out. And so Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. Now, Nathanael has never met Jesus. They've never encountered one another. This is their first moment of being together. And as Nathanael approaches the group, Jesus says to those around him, Oh, look, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus is making an evaluation of Nathanael's character, saying he's without guile, he's without deceit, he's a pure soul. Nathanael said, when did you get to know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And this sort of freaks Nathanael out. And what he says next is an absolute confession of faith. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus sort of chuckles. <laughs> you say that because uh, I said I saw you under the fig tree? Oh, you're going to see bigger and better things than that. You're going to see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Well, this is the last we hear of Nathaniel until he reappears in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. Nathaniel was among the seven that fished all night with Peter after the resurrection and caught nothing, and then Jesus appeared and they had breakfast with him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So everything we know about Nathaniel comes from these two cameo appearances in the Gospel of John. Now what fascinates me about Nathaniel is how he confessed Jesus as the Son of God just because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Subficus. I saw you, subficus, under, under the fig tree. When Jesus said that, remember, he's initially he's skeptical. We found the one. We found the one that Moses and the prophets talk about. We found the Messiah. Who is he? Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth. I don't know about that. Nazareth. What can come out of Nazareth that'd be any good? Well, come and see. And when then Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, he's instantly converted, just that quick, from skepticism to belief and confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Christ, the Messiah. I saw you under the fig tree. Why would that have such a powerful impact on Nathaniel? What does it mean? Let's think about fig trees a little bit. Fig trees, you may not know this, you probably don't, uh, show up more than 40 times in the Bible. There's no shortage of fig trees in the Bible. One of the times it talks about fig trees is in a parable. It's an interesting parable. It's found in the book of Judges, chapter 9. This occurs during the time of the judges. Immediately following the judgeship of 
Gideon. He's the famous judge, Gideon. Now this is 200 years before Israel has a king. 200 years before Saul and David and Solomon. After the death of Gideon, Gideon had 70 sons. He had lots of wives. And Gideon had 70 sons, and one of them, Abimelech, was evil, was a power-hungry, contemptuous man. And he wanted to set up a monarchy. There was, no, there was no king in Israel. That wasn't how they were arranged. It wasn't God's will. But he decided he wanted to be king. He'd been the son of the judge. He decided he wanted to be the king. So the first thing he did was he killed all of his brothers, all but one. One of the youngest one escaped. There were 70 of them. He killed the 69 or 68 of them, and one of them escaped. The one who escaped was Jotham. And Jotham, in response to what was happening, this, this power move, this bid of his brother to be to put himself forward as the king, gave a parable. And he said, once upon a time, the trees of the forest said, we need a king. Here we are, the forest and we're the trees, but we need a king. And so the trees of the forest asked the olive, will you reign over us? And the olive tree said, why would I want to do that? My gift is the goodness of my oil. And why would I leave off giving good oil to reign over you? So then the trees said to the vine, Oh, vine, reign over us. And the vine said, My gift is the goodness of my wine. Why would I leave giving the goodness of my wine to reign over you? And then the trees said to the fig tree, Oh, fig tree, reign over us. And the fig tree said, Why would I do that? My gift is my delicious, sweet fruit. Why would I stop giving my sweet fruit as a gift to reign over you. And then the trees said to the thorn bush, to the bramble, reign over us, O thorn bush. And the thorn bush says, right on. That's great. Let's go. I'm happy to reign over you. And by the way, if anybody doesn't like it, may fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. That's the parable. Now, the lesson of the parable is beware of those who are too eager to hold power over others. Beware of those kind of people. But our point for today is that the fig tree is a good tree. Fig tree is no thorn bush. Fig tree is a good tree. Throughout the prophets, we find this poetic idiom for the life of shalom. Everyone shall sit under their vine and under their fig tree. It's a reoccurring idiom in the prophets that it is aspirational in quality. It's, it's, 
It's a way of saying all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. How will we know when everything's well? Well, just, you know, everyone just sits under their vine and under their fig tree. There's no anxiety. There's no distress. There's no shorties. They just sit under their vine and under their fig tree. It eventually becomes an aspirational idiom for the coming and reign of Messiah. How will we know when Messiah has come? Well, everybody just sit under their vine and under their fig tree and be it shalom. Furthermore, rabbis were known to teach their disciples under the leafy shade of a fig tree. Fig trees uh, are good shade trees. Nice leaves. I've sat under a fig tree and had my prayer time and read my Bible in Bethlehem one time. There was a fig tree in this courtyard of the hotel I was staying in, and I went out in the morning, just sat under the fig tree, read my Bible, prayed, sat with Jesus. And this was a practice of the rabbis. They would often gather their students, their disciples, under the fig tree to teach them. So that to sit under the fig tree became an idiom for to sit at the feet of your teacher, even if there wasn't a fig tree there. Just, you know, to sit with a rabbi and receive instruction, one of the idioms was to sit under the fig tree. And then eventually, under the fig tree, subficus, came to just simply be associated with prayer and quiet contemplation. To sit under the fig tree implied that you were in prayer. You're in meditation. So was Nathaniel under a fig tree, praying, meditating, hoping for the day of Messiah's shalom? And then Philip finds him and says, we found Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, oh, that can't be any good. Come and see. And then Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. In other words, Nathaniel is saying something like, I was praying under the fig tree. And you saw me? I was meditating on Messiah and you saw me? Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're the Christ. It, be it becomes a confession of faith. I think that might be close to what is happening here. Under the fig tree. What the Christian mystics call contemplative prayer, I call sitting with Jesus. That's what I call it. I suppose you could expand it and call it, if you wanted to use the idiom, you could call it sitting with Jesus under the fig tree. It's a time of meditation, contemplation, of just being still. That's, for me, that's what sitting with Jesus is not complex. It's not difficult. It's, it's not, it's not, I'm not trying to empty my mind. I'm just trying to let my mind be attentive to one thing. Attentive to Jesus. It's what Mary did. She sat with Jesus 
Martha was distracted and worried about many things. And Jesus had to say, oh, Martha, Martha, you are distracted and worried about many things. But, but one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen the good part. I'm not going to take it away from her. So it's part of my practice of prayer is just to sit with Jesus. I've already used words in prayer, but then I become quiet. I acknowledge the presence of the Lord. Christ above me, very God of very God. Christ below me, incarnate of the earth. Christ before me when seen. Christ behind me when unseen. Christ at my right hand in my strength. Christ at my left in my weakness. Christ all around me, filling all things everywhere with himself. Christ within me, formed by faith. And I sit with Jesus. I sit. I wait. I listen. That's under the fig tree. Except my fig tree is actually a sycamore tree. A giant sycamore tree in my backyard. I have places I like to pray. This time of year it's not so much there. But when the weather's right, my favorite place of all to pray is under the sycamore tree. The enormous sycamore is older than internal combustion. Quieter, too. I call it my sycamore tree, which is funny, because it more rightly calls me its human being. I've seen it get sick, and I've seen it get, well, it's a tough old tree. Once in an ice storm, it impaled the ground with a spear. Zeus could not have done it better. It's not a tree to be trifled with. It watched Missouri hunt deer before there were houses here. Now it watches me read and write books. The Missouri were more interesting. For two decades it stood guard while I thought and thought and thought and found a better way to think about God. And the tree thinks I'm not as daft as when we first met. We hung a porch swing from its mightiest bough. Sycamore doesn't mind. It's my favorite place to pray. I think my prayers helped heal it once. And the sycamore prayers have healed me more than once. When we sit under the fig tree, or under the sycamore tree, when we sit with Jesus, we may not see Jesus, but Jesus sees us. Nathaniel was under the fig tree. He didn't see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. Nathaniel doesn't say, I saw you when I was sitting under the fig tree, Jesus. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. I think that when we sit with Jesus without agenda, we are giving Jesus permission to work on us. I'll make it personal. When I sit with Jesus under the fig tree, subficus, without agenda, I'm not, I'm not trying to get Jesus to do something. I'm just there with him. When I sit with Jesus under the fig tree, I'm giving permission to Jesus to work on me. And I need to be worked on. Make no mistake about it. I need Jesus to work on me. 
To sit with Jesus in openness and honesty. Just you're open to Jesus. You're being honest. You're not, you're not trying to put on a charade. You're not pretending you're more spiritual than you are. You're not pretending you're more holy than you are. You're just there as you are. To sit with Jesus in open and openness and honesty is to sit under the fig tree, subficus. And it's the only real prevention or cure for self-deception. Self-deception is a bad thing. And it's too easy to do. It's too easy to deceive ourselves that we're right and everybody else is wrong. That God is with us and against them. That what I think is certainly what God thinks. My thoughts are God's thoughts. His, heart, his thoughts are not higher than mine. My God's thoughts exist. It's very easy to deceive ourselves. It's those, though, that sit under the fig tree, that sit in quietness and contemplation, sit in openness and honesty before God, that can come to the place where they're an Israelite indeed in whom there is no self-deceit. They're not playing games. They've learned just to be open and honest before God, and they don't have to pretend that they have all the answers. They're content with saying, I don't know. I'm just going to have to trust God about that because I don't know. See, those that are filled with certitude have all the answers, but they're also usually deep into self-guile. You know the story of St. Augustine under the fig tree? It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Augustine was born in the late Roman Empire in North Africa in the year 354. He had a Christian mother and a pagan father. And he was a genius. I mean, he was just one of those prodigies. He was just a gifted person with a colossal intellect. He eventually makes his way to Milan, which was, you know, the big intellectual city, the cosmopolitan city at that time, where he is teaching rhetoric and he becomes a speechwriter for the emperor. So he's traveling in lofty circles, speechwriter for the emperor. And he also lives an immoral life. He knows it's immoral. He'd actually like to not live an immoral life, but he seems to be incapable of it. He makes resolutions and all that to live a better life, but he doesn't do it. At the age of 31, four of his friends, and all of his friends were among the aristocracy, among the elite. They were young, ambitious kind of people that were working for the emperor in some way or another. At the age of 31, four of Augustine's friends suddenly became Christians. Now, this shocked Augustine. He thought, boy, he didn't see that coming. And it shocked him, and yet somehow he, he, he admired their courage, their resolve. He admired what they had done. Not long after that, he was in his house, and his friend Olypius was there with him. This was his best friend, another elite, ambitious young man. 
They were there in the house together, and Augustine said to Olypius, What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Why do we live like we do? Our friends, they've become Christians. I think they've done what's right, but look at us. We don't change. We just live like we live. And then he began to weep. He was overcome with emotion, and he, he left the house, and he went into the garden behind his house and flung himself down under a fig tree. And under the fig tree, Augustine just began to pray, Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, how long? He just meant, how long do I have to be like this? What's wrong with me? Oh, Lord, how long? And as he's weeping and praying under the fig tree, he hears on the other side of the garden wall a child singing and chanting over and over, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege. It means take and read, take and read, take and read. And Augustine decides that this is the answer to his prayer. That God is speaking to him through the voice of a small child chanting, Tole lege, take and read. So he gets up from under the fig tree, goes back in the house, picks up the first book he can lay his hand to, and he's a scholar, he lives in a, a house of books. It happens to be, it happens to be a copy of Paul's epistle to the Romans. He opens it at random, points his finger. This only works one time in life. You, you get one time for this to work. He opens it at random, points his finger, and he reads, Let us live honorably as in the day, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in debauchery and immorality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And Augustine became a Christian. And then he became a bishop. And then he became one of the most influential church fathers in history. But it began for Augustine with openness and honesty before God under the fig tree. We need more believers who know what it is to be under the fig tree. And to be more pointed, I'll say it this way, we need more Christian leaders, pastors, teachers, who know what it is to be under the fig tree. Because we don't live in a contemplative age. We don't live in a fig tree contemplative age. We live in a thornbush reactive age. We, most that I know, do not live under the fig tree. They've invited the thorn bush to reign over them. And that's what they live under. And that's what they have to offer, nothing but consuming fire. We don't live in a fig tree contemplative age. We live in a thorn bush reactive age. And what we saw at the Capitol on January 6th 
was the thorn bush of reactive rage. Being reactive in religion and politics, where the initial response is anger, being reactive in religion and politics, and they're often tied together, is probably the most spiritually toxic thing I know anything about. I don't know that there's anything more damaging to the soul than being reactive in rage in the realm of politics and religion. So what's the antidote for toxic spirituality? To sit with Jesus under the fig tree. If you spend time regularly, daily even, with formative prayer and then you get under the fig tree and you just sit quietly without agenda and just sit with Jesus, acknowledging His presence and open to Him, honest, just sitting there, not pretending to be more spiritual than you are, not pretending to be more holy than you are. Just, you're just there under the fig tree in open honesty before Jesus. If you do that regularly, you won't be raging and wanting to burn everything down. You just won't. That's the antidote for toxic spirituality. Sit under the fig tree with Jesus until the anger and rage that are within you that have been placed in there by thorn bushes is replaced with the shalom of Jesus. Sit under the fig tree until, until something like this happens. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing is come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs. The fig tree puts forth its figs. And the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, arise, arise, arise. Listen to Jesus. Listen for Jesus. My beloved speaks and says to me, Jesus is your beloved. He's the lover of your soul. Jesus is the one, Jesus is no thorn bush. Jesus is the lover of your soul. He's your beloved. He's your first love. And he says this, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Come away. Come away from the wrath. Come away from the rage. Come away from the hate. Come away from the fear. Arise, my love, my fair one. Come away from the rage, the wrath, the hate, and the fear. Come away. For now the winter has passed. The winter of our discontent is passing away. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer. 
by our beloved, the Son of God. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now is the winter past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the flowers of grace and mercy. The time of singing has come, not the time of raging. And the voice of the turtle dove, the voice of the dove, the voice of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is the spirit not of accusation, but of advocacy. It's the unholy spirit that's the spirit of accusation. It's the slander, it's hasatan, it's the Satan. But the voice of the turtle dove, the voice of the dove, the voice of the spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit is the voice of advocacy. And its song is heard in the land. The fig tree puts forth its figs. We sit with Jesus and we open to the Spirit. And what begins to come out in our life is sweet fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, temperance, these kind of things come out, this good fruit. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Come away from the madness, come away from the mayhem, come away from the vitriol, come away from the bitter poison. Come away with Jesus. Come away with Jesus. Lord, we seek to follow you. Save us, rescue us, help us and heal us. Jesus, you're the one that sees us under the fig tree. And so we say to you, you are the Son of God. You are the King. You are the Christ, you are the Savior. And yes, you are the one upon which the angels ascend and descend. You are the ladder set up on earth that connects heaven and earth once again. The rupture is healed. And heaven's goodness, heaven's angelic intervention comes about through you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We follow you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Join with me now in confessing our faith. Our faith in Jesus, our faith in the Holy Trinity. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins, being open and honest before God, and then also receiving His forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You 
in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith, and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.